Good actions give strength to ourselves and inspire good actions in others. Plato. Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So we talk until we're blue in the face on this podcast about organizing victories, strikes around the country, about workers taking control of their working conditions. Gallup just did a poll back in August asking workers what they thought about unions. 71% said they're in favor of labor unions. Gallup's been doing this poll every year since 1936, and this is the highest mark since 1965. That's 58 years ago. Union approval peaked in 1953 at 75%, so we're close to that already. This growth in approval is why young workers are joining unions today. It's why downtrodden workers are striking now. It's why other things are starting to happen all across the country that we've never seen before. It's a mindset and it's taking hold. That's what we're talking about today, collective action that's turning the tide across America. But first, let's take a dive into our contract. Hopefully everyone's had a chance to go through their vacation pay rates by now and make sure that they're correct. Um, In case you haven't done so, we're going to run through the list of categories that's included in your gross earnings calculation and make sure that it's correct. Um, So categories that are included, that would include straight time, Uh, overtime pay, holiday pay, shift premiums, cost of living allowance, uh, any grievance pay you might have received. And if you were out of work due to a work comp injury, there's a formula to account for that as well. Um, Basically, it would be eight times your uh, hourly rate plus your cost of living when applicable, and it would exclude your shift premium. And that's based on December 31st of the preceding year in which the vacation is given. Um, And for each regularly scheduled workday, you'd get eight hours, not to exceed five days in a given week. Um, There's also a portion of your vacation that you may rate for, depending on how much vacation time you're credited with. If you rate for three weeks or higher, you would actually have a portion of your previous year's vacation pay included in that calculation. Um, So we'll go through those two. If you rate for three weeks vacation, you fall under 9.12 of the contract you would include one week of vacation from your previous year into the gross pay calculation. If you rate for four weeks vacation under 9.13, you would include two weeks of vacation. And if you rate for five weeks under 9.14, you would include three weeks of vacation. Uh, The list that's not included is much shorter. Um, It would be any vacation time that falls outside of what I just discussed and any employee suggestion awards that you may have gotten throughout the year. Um, We now have the potential that you might earn more money from 40 times your base rate, and you would actually get the base rate times your 40 times instead of the gross calculation. Um, So if you find out that your your rate is higher, you want to make sure that you were given the base rate times 40. And for anybody that's unsure, that's going to be based on your December 31st rate, uh, not the current rate when your vacation pay is paid out. So make sure if you're double-checking that portion of it 
go back to your previous checks, look at December 31st, figure out what was your rate, and that would be the 40 times rate you would use. Right. And um, and that's pretty important. I, I got to tell you, I'm really surprised at how many people fall into that category. I think it was like 800. I think it's more. I think it's over 1,000. Yeah. Um, and and th- that's really surprising that that many people have a vacation rate that falls below their hourly rate so they get their hourly rate so really important to do that make sure you're you're checking your vacation rate make sure it's correct do that math um, especially if you think there's an error and if you are getting your hourly rate as your vacation rate make sure that that's correct as well and you can always call up payroll ask them to give you a copy of the calculation they used so you could see their math um, and as always, don't hesitate to call for a steward. They're very well-versed in this, and they can help you out. Right. So we're talking about some of the stuff that's happening across the country that, that like I said, mindset, um, the union mindset that's taking hold in the United States. Um, no better example than what's happening right now in Michigan. Um, so Michigan just repealed its right-to-work law. And, and talk about turning the tide. That never happens. Yeah, they're one of the first. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they are the first, but they're one of the first. The um, first in at least, I think, like over 60 years, I think I read. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, this is important. This is really important because it does speak to that mindset, right? It speaks to the fact that people are thinking about this, right? They're looking at these, these right-to-work laws um, and rejecting them as a, a way of thinking, they're rejecting them. Yeah, I think people are, as you said, getting more favorable in their view of unions. Yeah. And they're starting to really acknowledge that a union shop gives better benefits, better wages. And, you know, these are just laws to prevent that. Yeah. And you can do the, you know, you can do the research yourself. Um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast right now, go on Google while you're listening to us. Go on Google and do a search. Yeah. Do a Google search for wages an hour or sorry, wages and benefits uh, in right-to-work states versus union-friendly states. You can actually go right on Department of Labor's own website, and they have extensive information about the union advantage, yep. the union difference, and yeah. they have graphs, charts, and explain all of it. Yep. And there's a pretty significant difference in wages and benefits in union-friendly states versus right-to-work states. It's just not as good in a right-to-work state. You're not going to make as much money. Uh, so... Right to Work started back in 1947, believe it or not, um, when the Taft-Hartley Act became law, um, and it actually prohibited the closed shop. So the idea of a closed shop hasn't been legal since 1947. So for those of you who don't know what a closed shop is, a closed shop is when a worker must join the union as a condition of employment. So you go to work for a unionized employer, you have to join the union as a condition of employment. That's no longer legal. Um, We now have what we have here at Sikorsky Aircraft, which is an agency shop, right? It, It feels a lot like a closed shop. So when you come to work at Sikorsky Aircraft, we have a union in place. You either have to join the union and be a full dues paying member or choose not to join the union and pay what's called an agency fee, which is a fee we charge for the services and representation that we provide. Um, and it's, at, at our employer, it's 82% of the full dues rate. So you might as well join the union. 
Yeah. I, and I think that's kind of the idea, right? And, and to be clear, that's not a penalty that people pay. No. That is because we spend the time negotiating your benefits, negotiating your wages, and you're going to earn a union benefit. Yep. And you're going to earn union wages as a result of the union being here. Yeah. So you need to pay into that. Like any other business, we're charging for the services that we provide. Yep. Right? We're charging our customer for the services we provide. Not in a right-to-work state. Right. So you can go, that's right, not in a right-to-work state. So so talk about that. What, what happens in a right-to-work state? So in a right-to-work state, we're lucky. We've talked about this before down in Florida and Alabama. Those are right-to-work states. And yep. we've got over you know 95% of our members in the union. Yeah. Um, but in a right-to-work state, our general president from the IBT, Sean O'Brien, I think said it best. It's like calling up AAA not having any coverage from AAA and expecting AAA to come out and change your flat tire, charge your battery and get you back on the road. Yeah. Um, so that's what these laws have done. They've allowed people to work in a union shop, to enjoy union benefits, to demand union representation if they raise their hand, right. but they don't have to pay any dues to the union. And the sole purpose of this design is to bleed unions of the resources they need to run. Right. So it bankrupts unions. It um, or or like you said, severely depletes their resources to the extent that we can't provide the representation that we need to. It costs money to do this. Right. Right. You know, I talk about I talk about arbitration. Right. You look at our grievance procedure. The last step in in our grievance procedure is arbitration. It costs five thousand dollars a day to arbitrate a case. And you need somebody there to argue it. Right. You need somebody there that's well-versed and able to put forward the arguments to right. to save your job or whatever the purpose of the And that's more money, right? So you have officers and stewards and whoever who are being paid to be at an arbitration hearing. You're paying the arbitrator five, a $5,000 fee to hear the case. You're, you're paying a retainer to your law firm that's going to be there representing you. So there's a lot of money involved here, and, and if you're a union that, that can't collect dues or fees from the, the people who you're representing, you literally cannot provide those services because you don't have the money to do it. Yeah, you're going to be out. Yeah. So right-to-work states have enacted these laws, right? It's a right-to-work law. Um, they prohibit the agency shop that we're talking about. Um, they allow workers to decline to join the union and also decline to pay any fees, right? So they're going to freeload. They're going to they're gonna try to get those services for free. And they can in a right-to-work state. But like we're talking about, th- those services uh, become less powerful, right? They, the, the strength of our services diminish greatly in a right-to-work state because we don't have the money to do it. Yep. Um, and these laws are specifically intended, like you said, to harm unions. And they're successful. Oh, yeah. They're very, very successful. Yep. Um, and, and what bothers me, and I always say this when I have a conversation about right to work, what bothers me about right to work is in the name. Kudos to the person who came up with that name, right to work, because it sounds like a good thing. To the person who doesn't know anything about it, it sounds like a good thing. Oh, right to work. I have a right to work. Sure. I have a right to make a choice. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have a right to go in that shop and work without being forced to pay the union. Yep. I don't but, have to associate myself with the union if I don't want to. And that's true. And I believe in having that choice. Yep. However, what folks fail to talk about is the fact that the union, by law, has to represent these folks. Yeah. So, so these laws are telling unions, you have to represent somebody and you can't charge them if they don't want to pay. So, 
You know, I just became a, quote, member of a car wash, right? Monthly, um, I pay a monthly membership fee, and I can go there and get a free car wash anytime I want. I can get as many car washes as I want. Um, only, not only members can go to that car wash. I don't have to be a member to go to that car wash. I can go, but I have to pay, right? right? I have to pay every time I want a car wash if I'm not a member. Um, in a right-to-work state, I can go get a car wash for free and say, I don't want to join, but yeah. I don't have to pay you for the car wash. You're going to give me a car wash. How insane is that? It's really insane. And, you know, I think people have this illusion of a choice in if they don't really see right to work for what it is. Right. Where they think, you know, oh, I've got the choice now to not pay the union. But if they truly saw the flip side of that coin, which is the, the worst benefits, the worst wages, because when you look at these states that have right to work, and you look at like a 10, 15, 20, 30 year period, you see the drop in wages, you see the drop in benefits. And actually, uh, I learned from the Steelworkers website, 37% higher risk of having a fatal injury in a right to work state. That's probably the most striking fact of all. You know, if you look at the wage numbers, you look at the benefit numbers, um, there's a difference, right? I think I read just recently that it's it's almost a 4% difference in wages after you factor in the cost of living in the state, right? Because I'm going to tell you, all the right-to-work states are states that have low cost of living, right? So after you do that math and factor in the lower cost of living, the difference in wages is still 4% between right-to-work and uh, union-friendly state. And, and people might hear that and say, eh, that's no big deal, 4%. But if the union came back to you after this latest contract and said, you're not getting a 4% raise this year, you're getting zero, you'd kick and scream and go crazy, right? Yeah. And there's the difference, right? The, it's, it's a significant difference, and it does make a difference in, in the way you're able to live. You know, people think like nowadays there's laws in place that protect everything. We're seeing cases of child labor being used in the United States. There have been, if you Google it, I mean, in the past few months, there have been numerous cases that have come up. Yeah. So these aren't minor issues that are, you know, from a long time ago that we don't see anymore. Yep. And a lot of the work that you're seeing brought back that's American made, you know, products, it's being made in right to work states, predominantly down south where they're paying a lower wage. They're, you know, skirting. A yep. lot of the safety precautions that a we lot. came to enjoy. And to your point, safety is a huge difference between right to work and union friendly. And doing the job safely takes more time. It lowers profit. Yeah. But you have to respect that we have humans doing these jobs right. and they could go home or they cannot go home. Yep. It takes a little more time and it does cost a little more money, right? If you're going to implement some, some safety, you know, put in safety equipment and things like that, provide safety equipment, that does cost money. But, um, you know, you have to invest in, in your workers and your workforce. Uh, so let's go back and talk about Michigan specifically. Um, a lot of people were surprised when Michigan enacted their right-to-work laws, right? Because this was a, a very union-friendly state for a long time. Uh, it, you know, the auto industry, which is a highly unionized industry, was is predominantly in the state of Michigan. So... When they enacted the right-to-work law, it, it was a surprise to a lot of people. But if you look at the timing of it, right, the timing of it, they enacted their law in 2012, which was shortly after the bailout of the auto industry, right? right. The auto industry became, um, you know, they got in a lot of trouble 
uh, financially, and um, the government had to bail them out. And a lot of people pointed to the unions and said, the unions, they did this to the auto industry. They milked us dry, right? They, they took high wages and big um, retirement packages and things like this. But two parties have to agree to that, right? Yeah. Nobody walked into negotiations. I've never been in a negotiating session where uh, the union pulled a gun out and held it to the to the head of the company and said, you know, you're going to do this or else. Yeah, and the unions really came together with the companies at that time. They yeah. recognized, you know, this is our livelihood and we need the company to succeed. And yep. they gave across all these car companies major concessions. Yeah, they did. And a lot of these companies, if not all of them, really forgot about that sacrifice yeah, and expected those it. to remain in perpetuity while, you know, they were making record profits again. Yep. So here come, you know, some lawmakers who are pro-right to work, and they say that right-to-work laws create jobs by attracting new employers to a business-friendly environment. Right? What they, kind of jobs? Right. What kind of jobs? Um, the kind that drive corporate profits and lower safety. Exactly. And- they put a priority on putting money into the shareholders' pockets rather than, you know, playing fair and putting some money into the workers' pockets as well as the shareholders. We acknowledge that the shareholders are important, right? Right. Shareholders are important. Um, uh, You know, company leadership is important. I'm not one to say that the CEO shouldn't be the highest paid person in the company, right? Probably should be. But, um, you know, when you look at it proportionately, if if the CEO is making – 3,000 times what a, a you know, frontline worker's making, there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The CEO going to the bathroom shouldn't be more of a, a hit to the company's bottom line <laughs> than every employee's misuse of company time over right. a year. Right. And I always end up pointing to WeatherTech, right? And, and, and someday we're going to do an entire episode on WeatherTech. We're going to do the research and talk about that company because they, they get it right? That company gets it. And it started with the CEO of that company. The guy that owns that company said, there's something wrong. We're making products in foreign countries and we're, we're importing them and we're claiming to be an American company. And that guy shut everything down overseas, built factories here, pay his, you know, he pays his workers a good wage, uses American made equipment. Um, and look at him, you know, I'm willing to spend 200 bucks on a set of floor mats for my car because uh, not only are they are they a great company they make a really good product it's worth it yeah and you too can own this product with promo code save 20 (laughs) (laughs) and i'm sorry it's not the first time i've railed about WeatherTech, but i love the company because i think i think if every company in america did what they're doing we wouldn't need to be here Right. Right. Unions wouldn't be needed. And I think if you really talk to to union people, they would tell you if you had a long enough conversation. I mean, they want to preserve their jobs as well. Right. But the ultimate goal is to not be needed anymore. The ultimate goal is that workers will be treated fairly and they'll be treated the right way so that we don't need to fight with the employers anymore. Yeah. Not going to happen. We know that. But um I think that's the ultimate goal. Well, I think even if it did happen in that ideal world, shortly thereafter, you would need the union back. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. (laughs) Because greed is, uh, you know, it's a... Just human nature. Yeah, it's right there. Uh, So in Michigan, you know, they looked at this claim from proponents of right to work um, who say, 
hey, this creates jobs because it incentivizes companies to come into the state because it's a business-friendly environment. And um, they did some studies in Michigan, and, and it's not true. It didn't work. It didn't happen. Um, and I can't speak to, I'd like to say that it doesn't happen anywhere. I'm not sure if that's true. I'm sure that it does bring businesses into some states, right? Because they don't have to deal with unions or strong unions anyway. Um, so I think that is an incentive for some companies, but I'd like to see the real raw numbers, right? Uh, let's, let's see how much it benefits companies and let's see how much it benefits workers because they do claim that this is a worker-friendly law, right? We're giving workers a choice and that's what workers want. Well, yeah, workers want a choice, but workers also want high pay and good benefits. It's funny because the name almost implies that they're restoring your rights that were taken from you by unions. But Absolutely. when you look at what it infringes upon in terms of benefits, wages, and safety, it's amazing that just how much it's hypocritical. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's really BS, um, and it's hard. It's really hard. I, I get frustrated when I talk about it, and I get frustrated when I hear some union people talk about it, and they're not saying the right things to, you know, argue against right to work. Um, you know, we have to rally against these laws, and we have to protect ourselves against these laws. And it started in Michigan. It's awesome, right, what happened in Michigan. They had a right to work law for about 11 years, 2012 to 2023. And unions in that state have been fighting against these laws since they were enacted. So Michigan enacted their right to work law during kind of a wave, uh, you know, a new wave of right to work laws. The country was a little stagnant for a couple of decades, right? One here, two here. Uh, but in the 2010s, several states enacted these laws, including Indiana, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Kentucky. Um, they all enacted laws in that decade, along with Michigan. Um, a, another state enacted a right-to-work law. I think it was Missouri. Missouri voted for and approved a right-to-work law, I think, in 2012 or 2015. Um, somehow, the opponents of the law got it put on a ballot for a referendum vote rather than just have the legislature enact the law, and it got shot down overwhelmingly in the referendum. So, you know, these folks in Congress or in state legislatures who are enacting these laws, you know, they're doing it saying, we're doing this for the people, right? This is what the people want. And it's not what the people want. No. And it, unfortunately, it takes time for them to realize that mm -hmm. and to mobilize against it and to get this momentum. And that's yeah. why this is the first state in 60 years to overturn it. Yep. Um, I think Virginia also has a bill to repeal their right-to-work laws as well. They do, um, and let's hope that happens down there in Virginia. I don't know, um, and, you know, we try to avoid politics on this show, right? But um, it matters, right? Because if I, I don't know if Virginia has a Republican governor or a Democratic governor, but that does matter in this case, right? Yeah. If the, There's no question that a, a Democratic governor will sign that repeal, um, and a Republican governor would probably not. So yeah. that matters. Um, and we probably should have done that research before, but um, look it up, uh, look it up, somebody, and 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 see what's, you know, see who holds the uh, governor's office down there in Virginia, because that's going to matter in this case. I, you know, it's funny when you ask politicians, "What is your stance on right to work?" 
a lot of times you can't get a clear answer. I, yeah. We did that back when Rosa Delora was running against Margaret Stryker, and they were both outside the plant. We were outside there holding signs in favor of Rosa, and Margaret Stryker happened to string up conversation with us. So I asked her, you know, what do you feel about right to work? And she danced around. I mean, yeah. there was nowhere to go. Yeah. We were all standing out there for over an hour. Yeah. So it wasn't like she could just skirt the question and, you know, hey, I have to leave now. I've got an event. She just <laughs> stayed standing there. But refused, you know, to answer the questions in a yeah, lot of cases. It, it's one of those questions, right, that especially if it's being asked of you by a union worker, right, I mean, what are you going to do? Um, you know, I'd like to see politicians just be honest whenever they're asked questions. Just tell me where you stand. I know where you stand. Right. Right. I know where you stand. Just admit it. Just say yeah, it. Look me in the eye and tell me right. that unions are bad. Right. You think unions are bad and you want to you want to weaken them. Yeah. I, I think I'm even OK with with you saying that if that's what you believe. Right. Yeah. I hate it. Um, and, and I wouldn't vote for Margaret Stryker anyway. But um, luckily, you don't have to. I don't have to. <laughs> I don't. So when this bill passed in the Michigan Senate, one of their legislators said the failed experiment of gutting Michigan workers right is soon to be over. Since 2012, the number of union members in Michigan has fallen from 629,000 to 589,000. The new bill specifically allows employers to enter into an agreement that requires all employees in the bargaining unit to share fairly in the financial support of the labor organization. Share fairly, right? It doesn't require people to join the union. If you're, for some reason, I don't know what that reason would be, but if you are opposed to unions, you don't have to join the union, right? You don't have to associate yourself with the union, but... As long as the union is required to represent you, you do have to pay a fee. Yeah, I think that's only fair. So do I. <laughs> I think it's only fair. So um, Michigan's repeal of this law is unusual to say the least, right? Uh, the Washington Post reported right after this was announced, it is exceedingly rare for states to overturn right-to-work laws. The Economic Policy Institute, a Washington-based think tank, said if Michigan Governor Whitmer signs the bill into law, Michigan will be the first state to repeal a right-to-work law in nearly six decades. That's what you were talking about. Yeah. Six decades. So the last time it happened, I don't think I was born. You definitely weren't. No, I was not. <laughs> I'm definitely not there. Man, I'm getting close. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that. So um, this marks a real reversal, right, in a trend towards these laws. These laws have been trickling into states since the 1940s, and it's about time we see it reversed. We're almost at 50-50 now, right? When Michigan does this, right, when the governor signs this into law, we're going to have 26 states with right-to-work laws. So that's still way too many. Yeah. It's funny that it's happening at a time where there's positive sentiment towards unions growing, too. Yeah. In the past year, I saw another stat that said there was a 20% increase in government employees joining unions. That's awesome, too. And they're saying it's a result of more union-friendly you know, laws, union-friendly uh, politicians. Yep. And I think keeping the pressure on people is what gives us the results. Yeah, and, and listen, we could do a whole other segment in this show and talk about the PRO Act. Right, which is a federal bill that would essentially do away with right to work. It would make right to work illegal. Um, we, we need the PRO Act to be passed on a federal level, 
But right now, you know, with the environment in Washington, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, we need different things to change. No, and it's crazy. Going back to the child labor stuff that I was bringing up earlier, I know it's a little unrelated, but there's been a 30% increase in child labor law violations in the last year. And Uh, and there's actually a list of states. I put something up on social media recently. um, But states are rolling back protections to get kids into different industries that are really deemed dangerous. Um, Iowa did one, lifting a bill with restrictions on hazardous work lowered the age for working around alcohol, extended the hours people, uh, children could work, and it granted employers immunity from civil liberty for workplace injuries, illness, and death. Yeah, I, I think I read just um, like last week that Arkansas just rolled back some child labor rules. Yeah, um, Arkansas was another one. Yeah, they, they lowered the age that children are allowed to work um, to uh, shocking to like 14 years old so they passed the law eliminating the need for children under 16 to obtain an employment certificate providing uh proof of age and parental permission in order to work so that's crazy iowa dropped some protections minnesota did as well Um, they introduced a bill allowing 16 and 17 year olds to work on construction sites and a lot of a lot of these change the hours children are allowed to work uh, making them later one of them uh i'll try to find it but it was on school nights. They could work. It was Ohio. Um, passed a bill in the Senate f- extending work hours for 14- and 15-year-olds who are able to work until 9 p.m. on uh, school night. It's insane. And why do you think that is? Why do you think they're changing those laws? Yeah, same with Wisconsin, too. Uh, they extended a bill that for minors under 16, they can now work until 9.30 on a school night and 11 p.m. on a non-school night. And... And all this is, these laws are changing not to help children earn more money or help families. The bottom line is the bottom line for employers, right? And they can pay kids less. Yeah, they can pay kids less. Um, You know, they're going to pay all those kids minimum wage. And let's face it, there's a problem in this country still with people who are willing to do those lower paying jobs, right? Those entry level jobs. We have a problem. We have an employment problem in this country. And so rather than try to address the problem by raising the minimum wage, the federal minimum wage is still under $8 an hour. It's disgusting. Uh, Instead of doing that, we're going to strip the books of laws that protect kids just because we need employers to be able to employ people more. And it's not just down south. New Jersey passed a law also about the number of hours um, children can work. They increased it to 40 hours a week for 14 and 15-year-olds. And uh, So a 14-year-old can have a full-time job. And now a, a 16 or a 17-year-old can do up to 50 hours a week. Wow. Um, Increase the number of hours minors can work before a break from five to six hours, which is kind of crazy. New Hampshire passed a law lowering the age for minors to bus tables where alcohol is served, which, to be honest, I don't want a 15-year-old kid bussing a table with, like, drunk college kids or, nope. you know, nope. a young girl bussing a table with, you know, drunk men. That's, I don't know. It just seems like a bad idea. It's a recipe for disaster, yeah, for something bad to happen. It just is. 
Oh, yeah. So the last one I wanted to touch on was Nebraska, because this is especially screwed up. They're introducing a bill to lower minimum wage for workers younger than 17 and to allow what they call training wages for 18 and 19 year olds. Awesome. So talk about a time we've ever needed to get rid of right to work and get unions you know, back in the forefront. Yep. And I think those young people, you know, if you look at what's happening, it's young people. Yeah. Right. It's not even people your age. Right. It's kids. It's it, teenagers and and kids in their 20s who are pushing this pro-union wave across the country. I mean, when you think about going out and organizing, you think about going out and meeting people that are adults. But someday, if it stays at this pace, we might be going out and trying to organize children because they're going to have the most egregious, you know, issues. Yeah. 14. It's crazy. 14 years old. Uh, I have enough trouble relating to the kids that come through our school to career program, our, our career pathways program. Right. right. And, and they're 17 and 18 years old. Yep. Um, you know, now we're going to be talking about organizing 14 year olds. And for anybody who doesn't know, the reason why career pathways is only on day shift is due to child labor law. Exactly. Right. They're- right. Right. They can't work overtime They're you know, because of laws. Right. They used to early on in, in the program, they worked overtime. And, and then we kind of discovered that, oh, they're not supposed to work overtime. So we had to shut that down. Never knew. Yeah. I, I mean, because the, the law is there for a reason. Yep. Right. So this is a wave. Right. And we're, we're talking about a mindset. So I wanted to talk about one other thing before we end this, because um, I, I found this really interesting. So last Sunday, my wife handed me a section of the New Haven Register. Um, She said, hey, you want to read this? Um, I look at it at the top of the page. There's a headline that reads, Tenant Unions on the Rise in Connecticut. And my first reaction to her was, no, that's not like a real union. It's, you know, that's not a real union. So I said no. And and yes, for those of you wondering, yes, I still get the newspaper delivered to my house on Sunday morning. Um, So it's me and that other guy. (laughs) So um, our communications guy. (laughs) (laughs) But I end up grabbing that section of the paper. Right. And I did read the article and and I, I realized after reading the article that this is all about that union mindset that's growing um, across the country. And it's what's important in this article. So, no, it's not a labor union. Right. But it's the same mindset. So the article focuses on one of these organizations. It's called the the Wyndham Mills Tenant Union. It was started by a woman named Ara Wilness, who um, she's a tenant in this apartment complex in Willimantic. She tells the story of her apartment losing heat back in November, right? She had no heat. She reports the problem to the building manager, and after a week, she still has no heat. So she has to continually contact the building manager and say, hey, what's going on? The building manager says... Well, there's a part that's on order that, um, you know, it hasn't come in yet. When it comes in, we're going to be able to fix it. And she doesn't have heat for two weeks. She finally gets the heat back after two weeks. This is in November in the state of Connecticut, right? So that's a problem. Um, She was already considering trying to start a tenants union. um, But now, you know, she's determined. This is the last straw. Um, The complex she lives in has a building manager, but the landlord... They don't really know who the landlord is. The landlord is listed um, in the town records as a limited liability company. So it's impossible to contact them, right? There's nobody there answering phones. 
And this is, I think, a newer phenomenon where, you know, Wall Street in the past few years has really gotten in the business of buying property, buying yep. homes and becoming tenant or yep. landlords rather. Yeah. So and, you know, they don't care. They, they, no. just, they hire a building manager and say, take care of it. You know, and, like like all companies. Right. They're there being loyal to their shareholders yep. and they're trying to maximize profit. So um, ARA ended up doing some research, and she contacted the CTTU. It stands for Connecticut Tenants Union. Um, so it's actually a thing. There's an organization out there. Um, and they helped her get started. So a guy by the name of Luke Melanakos Harrison, uh, he's an organizer with the CTTU. He's helped organize other groups or help them get started. Um, he says there's about 10 tenants unions in the state of Connecticut. Um, they're in cities like New Haven, Hartford, Windsor, and Hamden. Um, and they're growing quickly. The first one of these tenants unions was formed less than two years ago. The first one was in Windsor. Wow. It was less than two years ago. Now there's 10. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's happening fast. Um, you know, the article goes into detail about the grassroots effort that ARA and a couple of her neighbors put forth to get this union started. Um, and talks about how they work with the code enforcement office and um, property inspectors to make sure that their homes are safe and well-kept. Um, but what struck me the most is just simply that this is a growing mindset, right? It, the idea of collective action uh, as a means to fight against greed, ignorance, complacency, um, whether you're at work or now at home, right? It's on the forefront of people's minds. And that's what's awesome to me, right? That's the thing that really struck me about reading this article. So I thank my wife for, for handing me that article and giving me a hard time when I said I didn't want to read it. Um, but we're going to keep an eye on this type of thing because it, it can only mean good things for the future of the labor movement. I'm, I'm convinced about that. Yeah, let's see if we end up with states starting a right-to-live law where uh, you should have the choice not to pay into a <laughs> to a tenant to union. a tenant union. And I don't think right the the difference here is, and that's that's funny, but the difference here is totally kidding. I don't. I know you are. I don't think that this is a union in that sense where people are paying dues or anything like that. It's right. just you know it's a group of concerned tenants who get together and they're you know. They're essentially saying to the landlord and to the building manager, hey, um, you're going to have to deal with all of us. Yeah, and right? they're, they're learning the laws so that they can yep. fight back. Yep, and that's important, right? So that translates to us, right? When we talk to our members and say, read your contract, read your contract, that's the same thing, right? Education is everything. Knowledge is power. Whether you're forming a tenants union and reading the laws or you're already in Teamsters Local 1150 and like you will in a very short time, get a copy of the new contract in the mail. Don't just set it aside. Don't just stick it in your toolbox or in your, the, your desk drawer. Open it up and read it. It's yep. it's the power that we have, right? That's where the power lies in the words in that book. Yep, and in our willingness to stand with each other. You know, if somebody's screwing with the guy next to you, you have to stand up for that person as yep. well. You have to be willing to defend your rights and your brother or sister's. That's rights. right. They're not just your rights; they're everybody's rights. And if we allow our neighbor to have their rights violated, then we're next. Yeah, and I'm going to go further. If we fraternize with scabs because we don't value what that solidarity means that yep. undermines the whole movement no question about it good point all right so we got some upcoming events 
Yeah, we do. So we've got our April membership meetings coming up in Connecticut. That's going to be on April 19th. In Alabama, it's going to be April 25th. And in Florida, it'll be the 27th. And the Maryland meeting will be on April 25th. Uh, we've also got the TVC Golf Tournament coming up on Saturday, June 24th. It's going to be at Whitney Farms Golf Club. Make sure you get your tickets. That tends to fill up kind of quick. If you know anybody that would be interested in being a sponsor, make sure you reach out to TVC at Teamsters1150.org. And just a word for anybody that was planning to attend the Futures Cookout on April 2nd, that's going to be postponed until later this year. Um, once we have a new date, we'll make sure that we let you know. Okay, so that's going to just about do it. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for following the 10 to 12 podcast. If you're not following us, shame on you. Go to Podbean right now and follow the 10 to 12 podcast. Remember to let us know what you think about the show. If you love the show, let us know. If you hate the show, let us know. But let us know something. Also, I think we should probably say congratulations. We've got a lot of members going out for retirement at the end of March. Yeah, good call. So just want to wish you all a very happy retirement, well-earned, and, and live it in good health. And keep listening to the 10 to 12 podcast. You can still listen and keep up on what's going on in your former union or the union that you're now a member of the Retirees Club. Um, but remember to email us, right? Comms at Teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at Teamsters1150.org. And until next time, I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you again.